Um, as usual, I forgot to dismiss our kids, uh, and my wife will let me know about that later, as she always does, but she should because I keep forgetting. But I think most of the kids probably already made it down there, but um, sixth grade, um, six years through sixth grade can, can be checked in downstairs if you haven't already, and, and uh, sorry about that. We just want to say a big welcome before we do anything else to all of you and particularly to our guests this morning. So if you're here today for the first time, um, in the pew in front of you, you'll see these little welcome guest cards. We'd like to ask you to grab one if you would and fill it out. I promise we're not going to bug you. We don't call unless you request us to on there. Sometimes people will want a, a call from the pastor or to find out more about the church. If you don't check any of that, we won't bother you. It simply helps us to have a record of your visit. We have to report each month how many people came and that sort of thing. So it helps us to have a record of, of our attendance. And uh, if you would, put your email on there if you would like to be included in mailings, and pretty soon we're going to start doing some mass emailing to let you know about upcoming events and, and things like that. But, but mainly just want to say welcome and thank you for being here. It's good to see all of you today. Um, again, just a reminder, we have a Facebook page that's up and running, Upcountry Church, and our website is up and going. I keep telling you the sermons from the past few weeks are going to be there, and we're there almost, I promise. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, but but you can go on the website. It's functioning now. And check that out, upcountrychurch.org. Um, and then our football fellowship is today, our second football fellowship. I hope you're all planning to stay. Um, if you didn't bring anything food-wise, I'm sure we have plenty. So we want you to stay anyway. Um, we're going to be grilling out, as we did last time, and uh, hanging out and watching the football game downstairs. We, if you haven't been down there, we have a 65-inch flat screen television. Now, I justified that purchase because we love our children and it's all about kids ministry. So <laughs> that's how I got approved to get the television set. But the truth is I really wanted to watch football on a huge screen. So just keeping it real here, keeping it honest with you. So come down for the football fellowship. It's fun. And we hang out and eat and watch the game and talk. Um, this Wednesday night, we are having our night of thanks. We told you about this last week. We're going to meet here at 7 p.m. And uh, we're asking everyone to bring a pie and a testimony. Please bring a testimony with you because God does so much for us. If you're sitting here this morning breathing, you've got a testimony. And it's important, I think, not only to share prayer requests, which we do and we will continue to always do and pray for one another. It's important that we, that we share what God's done for us that we praise them in that way. And so come, bring a pie. We're going we're gonna to provide the coffee and lemonade, and, and uh, we're going to basically spend some time hanging out, sharing testimonies, eating good pie. Uh, we might have a little bit of worship. And then, as you know, we're gathering items. We've adopted a family in our neighborhood, and we're going to collect all of that on Wednesday night. And we're gonna, uh, my wife and I are going to take that by and, and deliver that uh, Thanksgiving meal to those folks. And by the way, we put out the sign-up sheet last week. It filled up immediately. And we realized we didn't want you to think that that's all you're allowed to give. So we reprinted it and put your names back on there. But we have put some extra lines. If there's something not on the list that you want to give, that you want to bring, or more of any of that, I'm sure um, our family will be blessed to receive it. Our family that we're blessing, not my family. So... Uh, <laughs> Cheesecake. No, I'm kidding. So anything extra you want to bring, sign up, bring it. Man, we just, there's a big, 
bucket out there, a big, huge basket that we're putting items in already, and we will collect the rest of that Wednesday night. So 7 p.m., night of thanks. Please plan to come. It's only going to be about a 45-minute service, maybe an hour. It won't be long at all, 7 to 8 at the longest, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Um, and then weekly Wednesday services are coming. I don't want to give a date yet because we're still, our church every week, we've had more people every week since we've opened, other than the first Sunday when we had so many visitors, but we've been growing each week. And we have people are coming and saying, I want to get involved, which is wonderful. Um, We're getting close to having enough leadership, folks willing to serve, that we can bring on Wednesday night services for our youth and for adults and kids programs and so on. So that's coming soon, probably in January, but not positive yet. Also on December 8th, we're going to have our first youth fellowship. When we, we start totaling up all of the teenagers in this church the other day, and we've had families that, that come in and out. The Barabies have three teenagers. They're not here today, but they're part of this church now. When we total up all of the teenagers, they're like uh, 15 or 16 or 17 kids or something. It's quite a crew. So we have enough for a really great youth group. So we're going to, uh, Saturday, December 8th from 4 to 8, my wife and I and some of the folks that are going to help us in youth leadership, Alex and Hannah and a few other parents are going to come. We're going to have a bonfire, not in here, outside. We're going to cook out. We're going to have a scavenger hunt. We're going to do um, a lot of some fun stuff. So we're going to have a good time and get to know each other. So please plan to come, uh, drop off your teenagers uh, from 4 to 8 on December 8th, if you would. Okay, volleyball, there's going to be lots of cool stuff there. So we want to receive our morning tithes and offerings. I'd like to ask our ushers to come, if you would. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who are giving regularly. Um, as I've said before, and I'll, I'll say it most of the time, there are different reasons we give. There are practical reasons. It keeps the lights on, keeps the building paid for. There are spiritual reasons. Uh, God uh, very clearly in Scripture talks about blessing when we give, and I'll teach on that at some point. But I just want to encourage you to please continue to give. Um, we need your, your gifts, your offerings, your tithes, and we appreciate it. And so we're going to pray for the offering, and then we're going to watch a short video. Um, entitled, What is the Church? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity today to be here uh, for each one of us, Lord. We thank you for, for health. We thank you for safety. We thank you for all the, the blessings in our lives. This hasn't been an easy time for our nation in so many ways, but, but you take care of us, and you're faithful to your word. And so we just say thank you for that this morning. Thank you that we have a church home. Thank you that we have this family that can be together and worship together. And so we ask you, Lord, that as they give, that you would bless each one, each family. We just ask you to pour out your blessings on them and that you would bless this offering through the ministries of this church, that every penny that comes in would be used, would be stewarded properly for your kingdom to grow and for your will and your purposes and for your vision for this church. And so we just ask your blessing on it and we say thank you once again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or a staff? Is the church the music? The tradition? Or the ministries? These are all good things, but they are not the church. Take them away and the church is still here. Why? 
because you are still here. The church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan to plug into God at a weekend service, to charge up in a small group community, to live out using your gifts and passions, and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ. When you and I live like this, all the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it. The world needs it. And we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you. I've always loved that video because it's such a great statement about the church. And that's what we've been talking about um, these last few weeks. I've been looking forward to today all week. I hope you know that. It's so good to see all of you here. Last week we finished up our first sermon series, which was entitled Welcome to Church. Those sermons um, are being posted on the website. We, <laughs> we got to the point where it was all ready to go and then found out we didn't have the right kind of software or something. So people that are a lot smarter than I am are <clears throat> working on that and getting all of that on the computer. But that, that should happen this week. But it's a functional site now. We have a calendar on there with our upcoming events. So you can go on, log on to the, uh, or just, uh, log on to the, to the website and go in and uh, check out the calendar and some other things. And we'll be adding to that weekly. Generally, I like to write sermons in a series because it allows us to explore a theme in greater depth over several weeks as opposed to just covering a single subject in a, like a 30 to 35 minute uh, message. However, once in a while I will teach a standalone sermon because it fits a particular circumstance for our church at any given time or a particular occasion, okay? So today and next week, I'm going to preach a couple of standalone sermons because they address our posture as a church toward each other and toward life. And I think that's a great way to wrap up sort of after this series and transition into the season of the Advent, the Christmas season, which always begins, by the way, on the fourth Sunday before Christmas Day, according to the Western liturgical calendar. So that this year, that's December 2nd. So we'll be doing a series on the Advent, which simply means um, God revealed, God coming. And we're going to talk about the revelation of who God is. Um, but today, I want to talk to you about a subject that is of the utmost importance to the growth of the church and even to the survival of the church. So critical... To the church is this subject that Jesus himself made it the focal point of his passionate prayer to the Father in John 17, just before his arrest and crucifixion. It was, in fact, his last request to the Father before being crucified. He was asking the Father for unity among his followers, the church. So that's our topic today. We're going to talk about unity in the church. Over the past 19 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen the local church accomplish some pretty amazing things. But it's not uncommon today to hear people bashing the church. 
some of that we've probably earned, okay? But I hear people say that the church is no longer relevant in society, and I believe that that attitude among people has been steadily increasing over this past generation. It has in my experience. But I just want to say, and I think it's worth noting today, that just in the four churches that I've worked in personally over the past 19 years, not including this would be the fifth because we're just getting started, but just in those four churches over the past 19 years, I've personally witnessed dozens of marriages on the brink of divorce restored marriages that are now thriving years later i've seen literally thousands and thousands of bags of groceries handed out to hungry families by these four local churches i've seen dozens of people strung out drug addicted alcoholic hopeless people turn away from addiction and hopelessness and live healthy fulfilled lives for christ through the ministries of these churches I've watched thousands of blankets and coats and garments of all kinds being given to needy people. Just our church in Fairbanks in Alaska would meet every Monday night. They still do. They meet in the fellowship hall every night, this group of ladies who know how to make quilts. And if they don't know how to make them, they teach them how to make them. And all year long, every Monday night, this group of ladies makes quilts. And then once a year, they bring them into the sanctuary and we spread them out between 60 and 100 quilts all over the sanctuary and we pray over them we actually anoint them and pray over them and then we ship them out to the bush villages to the native families who don't have the money to buy warm quilts for winter time I've watched cars and houses being repaired bicycles I've seen new houses built for people who couldn't afford it through the ministries of these these four churches not to mention the thousands of lost people that have come to Christ through these ministries that is just some of what I've personally witnessed in four churches over the past 19 years. If we could total up all the churches just in America over that same time period and count the number of lives changed, saved, fed, clothed, cared for in less than one generation, those numbers would be staggering. Name me one other organization in this country that can make those claims. Not the government, not the Red Cross, not the United Way. The only organization that can truthfully make those kind of claims is the Church of Jesus Christ. Now tell me the church isn't relevant. I know it's far from perfect, flawed to be sure, but relevant and effective without a doubt. And I am passionate about the church because it has been a force for good in this country and in this world like no other. And everybody... Uh, not everybody, but there's such a, it's such a popular feeling right now in a postmodern generation that that's going away. I'm telling you it's not. There is a surge happening right now, a grassroots surge among churches and among ministers, and I believe that the church is turning a corner and, and going to do greater things in the future than we've ever seen before. I honestly believe that. Well, but why? Why has the church been able to accomplish so much it's because we're united by a common cause, the cause of Christ, okay? And I believe that not only does the enemy know that fact, but it is the devil's top priority, in fact, to bring division where there's unity. Because the church will never be effective when we're fragmented, never nearly as effective when we're fragmented as when we're united. And that's why Jesus prayed so earnestly for unity among the church just before his crucifixion. 
There is scarcely a more important issue for the church today than unity, okay? And it only happens when we come together, each of us doing our own part by the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, working together, worshiping together, serving together. It's why we adopted the phrase experiencing life together, living out the gospel. That's what we've here at the church, upcountry church, experiencing life together, living out the gospel. Obviously, this is just the beginning for our church. We're still getting our feet wet, but I want to say to you today, with admonition and with caution, now is not the time to be timid. Now is not the time to be uncommitted. It's the time to press in. It's the time to engage in what God is doing and what he wants to do through you and through this church because we don't know how much time we have. So let's make every moment count, okay? And I curse the fly that's flying around my head. I just want to see him fall over dead. Sorry. <laughs> it's also important. I need a can of raid or something. It's also important that we guard ourselves against anything that can sow seeds of disunity among us. And we're going to talk about that today. But just as a general statement about the unity and disunity, you're never going to be able to focus, are you, with this fly flying around me? It's terrible. I can't focus. Sorry. Uh, we have to guard ourselves against anything that can sow seeds of disunity in the church, okay? And uh, as a general statement about unity and disunity, I've learned that we can never be unified in the church if we don't take the time and effort to understand one another. I've known people in my life and in church, church people, as you probably have too, that seem to have a hard time getting along with or relating to other people in the church. People that don't think the way that they do or act the way they do or come from a different place culturally, even though they go to the same church. And I used to think that it was just the way these people were sort of wired and they couldn't really help it because that was just their personality or whatever. But then over the years, I've witnessed some of these same people go on missions trips halfway around the world to other people and other cultures that couldn't be any more different from their own. And I've watched these same church folks pour out love and compassion and selflessness to these total strangers from a different culture and then come home and they can't get along with their next door neighbor or their brother in Christ sitting in the pew next to them. And I realized something. This isn't about personality. It's about attitude. When we go on missions trips, we're all geared up to experience people who are completely different from us. We expect to encounter different dress and different food and different perspectives and on and on. And so we're prepared with this open attitude of love and compassion. But when we come home on our own turf, we sometimes want everybody to be like us, right? I mean, I've been guilty of that. Get your act together. You're on my pew, man. Who taught you to dress like that? Right? How could you possibly think that way? You should know better, right? I've heard all those things in church. I would submit to you today that we should all the more approach one another in our own church and in our own community with love and compassion and grace and learn to appreciate and understand one another. I'm not talking about tolerating sin in the church, by the way. Okay, we must adhere to a standard of holiness in our lives and in the church. I'm talking about loving each other in spite of our differences and allowing the Lord to unite us, all right? It is Jesus Christ who unites us, but we have to make the effort to work together, even when we come from a different place, culturally or ethnically or geographically. And by the way, I'm not saying that we haven't here. <laughs> Actually, you guys have been amazing. 
I, this is not the group of people I expected would show up to our church when we started it. What a, what a wonderful group of people. What a diverse group of people that have been coming. And you're amazing. So just know today, I'm not chastising anyone. You guys are my heroes, honestly. This has been awesome. But the future is coming. And I'm telling you, I believe that this church is going to continue to grow as it has been. And you can bet that as it does, we're going to experience growing pains. Every church does, okay? So this, this is a, uh, not only for today, it's for the future, all right? I'm a southerner. Some of you don't believe that. It's true. I was, born, I was born in Pennsylvania, and I spent the first 14 years of my life there. And for some people, that disqualifies me as a southerner forever. I get it. But I'm telling you, I have spent the vast amount of my life, majority of my life, here in South Carolina. But because I've lived in different places, I lived in Pennsylvania, I lived in Raleigh for several years in North Carolina, went to college in Georgia, lived in Alaska, I've never really, at least I don't think I've ever picked up any kind of accent, certainly not a southern accent. And so coming here was quite a cultural shift for me to rural South Carolina. It's a very different thing than I was used to at the time when I came. So I graduated from college. 21 years old, and I went to work for the Pickens County Sheriff's Department. It doesn't get much more rural South Carolina <laughs> than Pickens County. But I love the area. It's a mountains, and it's beautiful, and I just love it. I still love Pickens County. I love the area. So I moved there, and I got a job as a dispatcher at the Sheriff's Office. And then not long after that, I got promoted to road patrol. So I became a police officer. Now, you need to understand something. Today, if you're hired as a police officer at a sheriff's department or a police department, they, by law, send you first to the police academy in Columbia for weeks, and you go through sort of a basic training before they turn you loose on the streets, right? This was a different time. This was 21 years ago. It didn't work like that. By state law, back then, the sheriff's department or police department that hired you had up to one year, 12 months, that you could actually be out patrolling before they sent you to the police academy. The reason for that was it costs a lot of money, it still does, to send a recruit to the police academy. It's expensive to train, to do that training. And they didn't want to hire someone and spend all of that money up front, send you through the training, and then you come back and after a month of patrolling the streets, decide this job isn't for me, and quit. And they've spent all that money wasted. So what they would do is hire you and put you on road patrol for up to a year to make sure you're going to stick with it before they send you to the police academy. I patrolled the mean streets of Pickens County for 10 months before I went to the police academy and received any training. So here's how it went. This is a true story. I got promoted. I knew that the lieutenant said, meet me on whatever day it was, you know, Wednesday in my office. I walked down there. He said, go down to the equipment room. Pull out five uniforms, six, whatever in there that fits you. Come back. I said, okay. So I walk down to this big closet. I go in. I pull out all these uniforms. I walk back to his office with my arm loaded with uniforms. He said, well, put one on. Okay. So I went in the bathroom, put one on. He said, leave the rest of them here. You can get them later. <clears throat> he said, get in the car. So we went out and we got in his patrol car. Lieutenant drives me across town to the county courthouse. We walk in the courthouse and he's walking around the halls looking for a judge. They're all in session. He said, sit down. So I sat there. He said, when the judge comes out of session, 
you need to tell him to wait here that I need to talk to him. I said, yes, sir. And he walked off and he's going to visit. I don't know what he did. He left. So I'm sitting back here, 21-year-old kid, really, in my police uniform. And he, this judge comes walking out, which is already a little bit intimidating. And I said, excuse me, your honor. <laughs> Could you wait here for a few minutes? Uh, lieutenant wants it. And he said, okay. And so we waited and the lieutenant comes back. He said, hey, I got a new recruit. I need you to swear him in. So the judge turns around to some guy walking through the hall, and he goes, hey, I need a Bible. So they're running around. Somebody finds a Bible. They bring it back in the back hall, slaps my hand on it, swears me in, literally pins a badge on my chest, hands me a gun and a pile of bullets, and he said, go get in the car. <laughs> What's getting ready to happen? Yeah, it's like Barney Fife. So I go out and get in the car, and we spend the rest of the afternoon driving around the sort of boundaries of Pickens County. He's trying to show me where the county line is, so I know where the area that we patrol. And that took several hours. We finished. We came back. He said, go home. Come back at 7 a.m. for roll call. I said, okay. Went home. I got up. I came back 7 a.m., went through roll call. They said, Rucci, you are now Charlie 36. You are patrolling the mountain district of Pickens County, and they showed me on a map, gave me the map, handed me the keys to my patrol car, said, load your gun. If you have any problems, call for help, and your sergeant will come help you if you have any questions. There's a library in the law enforcement center full of legal books. You should probably start reading them and understanding the law. This is the truth. Handed me my keys. I went out and got in a patrol car, started it up. I didn't know how to work the blue lights. I didn't know how to turn the lights on. I didn't know how to do the siren. And I drove off. Loaded gun, I am now a patrolman. No training whatsoever. I knew the 10 codes because I'd been a dispatcher. Talk about intimidating. So I pulled over in a little abandoned parking lot and I was hitting all the buttons in the car trying to figure out. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Like, you know, this is cool, man. And a few days into it, and, and every call I was going out on, basically I'm calling for help because I don't know what to do. You know, these ridiculous situation, but that's how they trained me. I did that for 10 months. A few days into it, I get a call. I will never forget the rest of my life. In 10 code, they said, Charlie 36, this is Pickens. We, we have a domestic dispute between neighbors. We need you to go. I thought, okay, this could get hairy. So I followed the directions. I'm way up in the mountain district. I'm weaving up and down these dirt roads, mountain roads, and I finally turn on this long dirt road, and I'm driving down this dirt road, and at the very end, it's a big open field. There are two trailers, and in the first trailer, right out in the front yard, is this lady standing there in like a ragged old nightgown, these raggedy old slippers. She's got her hair up in curlers, but not all the hair has been captured by the curlers, so it's kind of it's crazy looking. She's kind of this wily looking woman, and she's waving at me. And in the yard, the front yard of the trailer next to her is this guy standing there. There's this huge pile of tires on fire, black smoke billowing up into the sky. And he's standing there, big guy, garden hose in one hand, can of Budweiser in the other, and he's just smiling. <laughs> Guy's just happy, right? So I pull up into the ladies, because she's flagging me down into her yard, and before I can get out of the car, she runs up to the car and she goes, my couch is rent." And I said, what? She said, my couch is rent." I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I, I didn't understand what you said. She said, my couch. I said, I got that part. I didn't get the last part. She said, it's rent. 
I said, ma'am, I understand that you're excited. Clearly something's going on here. And I'm sorry, but I need you to take a deep breath, slow down, and tell me again what the problem is. And she walked up to me and leaned in toward me and she said, my couch is burnt. I got nothing. I don't know what to do. I don't know what she's talking about. I have no idea. I said, ma'am, may I please see the couch in question? She said, all right. So I followed her through the yard, up the stairs, and into the trailer. She takes me into the living room, and she points at this blue couch. It looks brand new. Nice couch sitting there. And I'm staring at it, and for the love of me, I can't figure out what rent is. I'm thinking maybe it's a brand name, maybe it's a color, you know, what. So she's just staring holes in the back of my head because she wants me to respond. And so I walk over and I said, is this the couch? And she said, of course it is. And I said, okay. So I got down on my knees and I start pulling cushions off and I'm looking for like a tag or something that explains rent because I don't have any idea what the deal with the couch is. And she's looking at me like I'm crazy. I go over every inch of the couch, find nothing. I put it all back together and I stand up and she goes, what you think? I said, well, I think it's rent. <laughs> she said, all right, what you going to do? I said, well, ma'am, I, I need you to give me just a minute. And so I walked out on the front steps and did the only thing that I knew to do. I called for backup. Ten codes, you know, I said, Pickens, Charlie 36, I'm requesting 1033. Okay, 1033 is the 10 code for help me quickly. Because I didn't know how serious the issue... I mean, for all I knew, the couch was going to blow up or something. Honestly, I had no clue what was going to happen with the couch. So it's just a few minutes later, and you can hear the sirens coming. Here comes the Calvary, right? And I'm totally nervous because I don't even know what's happening. And my sergeant comes barreling down this dirt road. He comes flying up into the yard, jumps out, runs up to me, goes, Rucci, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, what's the problem? I said, it's the couch. He said, what's wrong with the couch? I said, it's rent. He said, what? I said, I know. <laughs> he said, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know. I have no idea. He said, what did you say? I said, the couch is rent. And he looked at me for a long minute and he started to laugh and he said, son, you don't have any idea what that means, do you? And I said, no, sir, I don't. And I don't know what to do. And so he walked past me. He said, get out of the way. And he goes in the house. And he talks to the lady for a few minutes and he comes out and he said, rent is the southern way of saying ruined. And she was trying to tell you that her couch is ruined because she had her windows up and the guy's burning tires and the black smoke came in and got into the fabric of her brand new couch. I said, oh wow, that makes a lot of sense now. Thank you. So after explaining to me that burning tires in your front yard is illegal, which I also didn't know, wrote the guy a citation and we put out the fire and he promised to have her couch professionally cleaned and all was well, okay? But me and that poor woman were coming from two totally different places. It took me years of living in rural South Carolina to understand and appreciate this place culturally. The truth is now I don't want to live anywhere else in the world. I, f I feel like people have grafted me into this family and I love it here. But it took me time and, uh, and desire to understand how things work and how things are and how people talk and what they eat and all of that. You know that the truth is, 
I love pickled pig's feet. I just have to be honest. I tell you that. <laughs> it's the truth. I go to the grocery store and buy pickled pig's feet and people look at me like I'm crazy. It's a southern thing, I guess. So we may not know or understand everyone in our church, particularly as this church begins to grow and continues to grow. But if we don't make the effort to know and understand one another, we'll never be unified. So we do things like football fellowship and the night of thanks to create opportunities for us to get to know each other. But you have to choose to participate because ultimately we do have a common purpose here, a common purpose in, in Christ. So that's just an encouragement to be a part of what we're doing here so we can form deeper relationships with each other. There's a famous phrase coined by Aesop in the 6th century BC and uh, later um, Patrick Henry and John Dickinson and several people have used it. It's a famous phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. That may not have come from scripture, but it is certainly scriptural, the principle. We are one body in Christ, is what the Bible tells us. I can't think of a better Thanksgiving message than to talk about the unity that we have in Christ. Thanksgiving is about coming together and sharing our lives with each other and giving praise to God for all that he's done. It's about unity. We're one body in Christ, okay? Romans 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3, if you, if you want to turn there. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Listen to this, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The body united was a central theme of the Apostle Paul's ministry, and it was a central theme, in fact, of Jesus' earthly ministry as well. And we'll look at that in a minute. Unity in the body of Christ is essential if we're to be effective in carrying on the work God has called us to do, okay? This isn't a one-man show. This isn't a cult of personality. It's about the body of Christ coming together to do great things right now, okay? Even in the early stages of this church, unity is it's more than a nice word and a good feeling, and it serves more than one purpose, and we would do well to understand that, okay? So let's look at some of the purposes of unity according to Scripture and how it applies to this church. What does unity mean for us individually? What does unity mean for the body, and why is it so important for the world to see unity in us, okay? So let's turn to the book of Luke, if you have your Bibles, chapter 22. We'll start in verse 7. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 7. From the time of the Last Supper... 
right up to the crucifixion, there's a theme of unity, this strand of unity that runs through the entire narrative, okay? So verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is this guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So Jesus has them preparing this meal for everybody. They come together, and here they are at the table. Verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So now he's beginning to explain to his followers that he's leaving. He's getting ready to leave. Skip down to verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So Jesus calls them together. It's this beautiful moment, this intimate meal, and he explains that he's getting ready to leave them. And what is their response? They begin to question one another. And then verse 24 says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So as soon as Jesus begins to explain that he's about to go, they begin jockeying for position. Isn't that just our nature? It's just human nature. That's what we do. When Jesus is about to transition out of his earthly ministry and send the Holy Spirit, the men closest to him begin to have conflict and this division starts to creep in. So Jesus immediately answers them. And he says in verses 25 through 27, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? And of course, we know by reading in John that he went on to wash their feet to demonstrate this. Okay, what a, what a beautiful picture this is of how we are to treat each other. We're supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to prefer one another. Where the problem comes in, is when we say, okay, I'm going to set my own desires aside and I'm going to serve these other people. And we do that wholeheartedly. And there's usually some expectation that at some point they're going to reciprocate in some way. Because that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's how we were raised. You do something nice for someone and they do something for you. But sometimes people don't reciprocate, do they? Sometimes people don't even say thank you. And so we can give and we give and we give we don't always get back what we expect. Well, let me tell you something. There will, there will always be people who are more than happy to receive your ministry forever and never give anything back. So what happens? We get burned. And we say things like, okay, fine. I will never make that mistake again. And we stop serving because it doesn't seem worth it to us. The problem with that attitude is Jesus died for people who are spitting in his face who are ripping his clothes and beating him. We're called to serve one another regardless of the response that we get back. 
one body in Christ, one family, one unit. Service to one another causes humility, which in turn fosters unity. And Jesus displayed that principle as he called his disciples together for a meal and then washed their feet and then continued to teach them, okay? So individually speaking, what does unity mean for us individually? Well, with service comes humility, and with humility comes unity, all right? Let's turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and talk about what unity means for the body of Christ, okay? Ephesians 2, we'll start verse 11, and we'll read through verse 22. What does unity mean for the body of Christ? Verse 11 says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, praise God, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm so grateful for that. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, that's all of us, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Verse 21 says, When the whole structure is joined together in Christ, it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And verse 22 says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay? A unified body equals a dwelling place for the Spirit. The unified body equals a dwelling place for the Spirit. If we want to experience the manifest presence of God, that will only happen when we are unified. God will not dwell in a body at war with itself. Do you hear what I'm saying? He will only show up. He will only manifest himself. He will only function through us. We'll only ever see fruit of the Spirit, good things happen out of this church when we're truly unified because He will not work. He will not dwell in a body that's at war with itself. Unity brings the presence of God into the body. So having unity among us helps us to develop as individuals so that we can function as and become the kind of people that God desires us to be as individuals, as a body of believers Unity among us helps facilitate this presence of God as we worship and serve together, okay? So those are some reasons that unity is important to individuals, important to the church. But the last point, why is unity so important for the world to see? And this is the one we really have to pay attention to, okay? Picking back up on the narrative of Jesus and his disciples after the Last Supper, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the world, it says, will know who we are. The world will know that we are Christ followers, that we're Christians because of our love for one another. Now skip down to John 17 and we'll read quickly verses 18 through 23. This is Jesus praying in the garden. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's, again, all of us in the future. Isn't it wonderful to know that when Jesus was praying this prayer, he was thinking about you? He was thinking about us? That's a wonderful thought. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you love me. This is pretty important stuff. Unity is a lot more important than us just getting along, for the sake of getting along. It is the very essence of our testimony to the world. Why do you think so many people bash the church today? The church has been fragmented for some time in some areas for sure. Fragmented. Not unified. In verse 23, Jesus prays that we would all be one so that the world may know. Our testimony is at the mercy of our unity. Just take that home with you and write it on your mirror or something. Our testimony is at the mercy of our unity. Please let that sink in. The world will know because we are one, all right? I pray that God will continually help us at Upcountry Church to set aside any differences that may arise as we grow and prefer one another in service to each other. That, in effect, will be our testimony to Traveler's Rest. And I want it to be as strong as it can be. That means we have to be unified. So as we enter into Thanksgiving week, I just want to ask you, as you think about family, as you think about getting together with those that you're close to, also please consider this family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and remember how important it is that we're one body, serving God, serving this community, and serving each other, okay? Would you stand with me? just want to ask you to bow your heads for this last five minutes as we finish up. <coughs> Before we can be in unity with each other, we have to be one in Christ. And so as we do every week, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take that step if you haven't already or if you would like to again. You know, you may have never prayed this prayer. We're going to pray here in a minute. You, you may have never prayed this before, asking Christ to be Lord of your life, making a commitment to follow Him. You may have prayed it before. The important thing to know is that when we accept Christ, He says He seals us by His Holy Spirit. I don't want you to think today that if you've prayed that prayer but it's been a long time, that 
that you have to pray that prayer every week to be saved. That's not what the Bible says. But it is completely appropriate to pray a prayer of commitment, of recommitment um, to Christ in your life more than once. I'll tell you, I've done it. I don't know how many times in my life. Because it's saying, Lord, you know, I've committed to you, but today I just want to say anew, I'm yours. I belong to you. And I ask you to be Lord of my life. And so I'm just inviting you today. There's no pressure here, by the way. I'm not going to call anyone forward. I don't generally do that. This is between you and God, but I, I need to know if there's anyone to pray for and to pray with. So in a moment, if you raise your hand, we're all going to pray this prayer together as a church. We're all going to pray the prayer together. I'm not going to call you out or call you forward, okay? But I'm asking you, if you would like to pray a prayer of commitment to God, whether it's the first time or the 1,000th time in your life, would you just raise your hand briefly? Everyone's heads are bowed, and you can slip your hand right back down. Yes. Yes. Yes, so there are others. Every week, people raise their hand for this prayer. I raise my hand for this prayer often. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. We're just going to pray. Thank you. It's several raise their hands. We're going to pray this prayer together. A simple prayer of commitment. If you would, I'd like to ask everyone to just repeat it after me out loud. Let's, let's pray this together. Lord, I admit to you today that I've sinned in my life. And I believe that you gave up your life for me. That I might be forgiven for my sins. And have eternal life. So I ask you now to forgive me for all of my sin. Save me and make me new. And I ask you now, Jesus, to be Lord over my life. Come live in me. And I commit to follow you the rest of my life. Amen. I love the fact that one of the last things that Jesus did in his ministry on earth was to gather his friends together for a meal and teach them about the importance of being unified. Because it's not a one-time prayer. It's a lifelong process. And being a part of a church body is an important part of that process. So I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer today, if you raised your hand today, if you're part of a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, stay a part of that church. But if God's calling you here, if you feel he's called you to be a part of this, or if you're not, if you don't belong to a church somewhere, we'd love for you to come here and be a part of this church. Because this isn't a one-man deal. And you don't make it by yourself. I can tell you, it doesn't work that way. You need a family of believers. And that's what this is all about. This whole deal right here is about being a family of committed followers of Christ together. We also have some little books that are kind of cool, written by a friend of mine. Uh, on the bookshelves in our cafe and I invite you to, they're free pick one up if you'd like this tells you about some next steps things you should know as a Christ follower and please by all means come back come back next week and stay today in fellowship with us but before we go before we head downstairs for the big meal and our football fellowship we're going to do what Jesus did those years ago so I'd like to ask our ushers if you would come forward and as Kayla just plays the keyboard, we're going to serve you some juice and some bread, and we're going to have communion together. But I'd like to ask you, if you would, please, to just hold the elements until everyone is served, and we'll take them together.